Wednesday night, welcome into This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you after a Blues winner. Figured two hours of hockey talk would be a perfect time to jump into it, Joe. You get a Blues win, you get two hours of hockey talk with Vitale and Ferrario. That's a win for everybody. It's a win for everyone, Alex. I mean, we'll sit here, we'll talk a little hockey. We could probably throw in some food and some good entertainment, hopefully some laughs, and talk talk about trade deadline and this Blues team. <laughs> trade deadline, that's the best part about this. That feels like Christmas for Blues fans and hockey fans. Yeah, They're one of the few trade deadlines in sports, I think, that is actually exciting leading up to it. I think so because I think a lot of general managers, they don't just make deals that day or the day before. I think that the trend now for a lot of GMs in the National Hockey League is you want to make those acquisitions as soon as possible because you figure if you if you wait till the deadline, which is you know February 24th this year, that really gives you about a month and maybe some change, about five, six weeks, to really kind of hone in with the new acquisition or acquisitions. But if you can get things done, let's say early to mid-February, like we've seen uh, yesterday, of course, with the St. Louis Blues and a couple deals that were done last week, that just gives these players an extra two, three weeks to get acclimated to their teammates and get used to the systems. And that way, when playoffs start, uh, they are hitting the ground running. Well, we'll talk a lot about the trade deadline, obviously, on February 24th. Joe mentioned the Blues made a deal. If you know by now, they acquired a defenseman. And we'll talk about that and some other teams making some deals at the NHL uh, before the NHL trade deadline as well. But let's start with this past week because we've had lots of downs after loss after loss after loss. And then, of course, you picked up that victory last night. But those downs, Joe, we've talked a lot about it this week and the uh, the pre- and post-game shows. Those downs don't feel like as big of downs as they should should be because the losses are one goal losses and they're better losses than what we saw in the beginning portion of this stretch yeah you know I think that there's a certainly a way to win there's certainly a way to lose and I think the way the Blues have been losing has been trending upwards you know you look at that Western Canadian swing where they went to Vancouver uh, they win that game in Calgary but then they lose to Edmonton and Winnipeg so three out of the four they lose on that trip to me that's when things were kind of looking a little bit array you come home you thud the Carolina Hurricanes and then you go back to losing again uh, to Winnipeg Jets but then it's the Dallas Stars you lose there in OT and then especially uh, that Nashville weekend we just saw uh, things are getting a little bit tighter the emotions were there the fights were there you saw the passion from these players especially given that you're midway through February which is obviously the grind of the season so to see that I thought was really positive and you know I think Curb said it on that Sunday loss in Nashville when Kyle Turris scored with about three minutes to go and the Blues don't grab a point in that game, even though I thought it was one of the best performances of 60 minutes they've had over the last probably month, month and a half. He made the comment that something that uh, Bruce Boudreaux would always talk, oh, excuse me, it was Ken Hitchcock who always said, when you're in a slump, you always find your game, but you still lose one more before you kind of turn things on. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what that Nashville game represented. The Blues game was there. Their pieces were back in play. But, of course, you lose that game, a game that you should win, but you end up losing. You always have to go through, seems like, one of those before you get things rolling in the right direction. And so far, the Blues have done just that after that 3 nothing victory last night against the Devils. Well, and I get it. What people will say, too, is that, you know, you're taking on a Devils team that's, you know, worse in their division, one of the worst in the Eastern Conference, so it was a for sure victory. But those are the teams that I think people always overlook. And, you know, Braden Shen said it yesterday, we don't care what's on the jersey, if it's the Devils or if it's the Capitals or the Bruins, we need to go out there and we need to play our style of hockey and win. And, you know, the fact that I was really pleased with the fact that they ha- they handled the adversity 
in that first period well because Louis Domingue was robbing them goal after goal after goal, and that's a moment where guys can then try and start pushing too much, try and do too much to overcome that, and then the game slips away. But the Blues stuck to their system. They broke through in this first or in the second period with that mm-hmm. one goal, and then the third period it opened up more. Yeah, it did, and I think that you know you looked at the game last night, and you know I think that. And Craig Bruby said after the game, listen, we, we should win that game, and we did. And it's one game, but, you know, when the game started, uh, the New Jersey Devils were uh, a team that you just you don't know half the guys that you're playing against. And it's one of those kind of trap games because, given the deadline, the fact they just lost their captain and Blake Coleman, uh, you, you don't know what they represent. And in some ways, that can be w- far more difficult for a player to play against. When the Blues play the Dallas Stars uh, come this weekend – they're, they know exactly what the Dallas Stars represent. They've seen their personnel. They know their systems. They know their speed. They know Bishop. So they, they, there's an expectation there, and they know that all they need to do is out-game plan them, out-patient them, and beat them at their own game. Now you're facing the New Jersey Devils last night. It's a trap game because you don't know half these guys. You don't know what's going to happen. The systems are all over the place, and I, and I compared it on the broadcast last night when I was talking to Chris Kerber. It's like me jumping up a row on the plane but then the Blues playing and deciding to play a game of poker with Kerber, John Kelly, uh, you know Mike Caruso, and Timmy Paps. I, I don't play poker. I don't know how to play poker. I mean, I, I may get lucky, but the strategy really isn't quite there because I don't really know what I'm doing. And sometimes that could be even more difficult to play against someone like that because of that unexpectation that comes with it. So for the Blues last night, yes, it's a game they should win, but keep in mind, it, it is still a well-earned win because of the reasons I just laid out. you got to stay extremely focused. There's not a lot of emotion in that game last night. And the Blues come right off of that Nashville back-to-back where that was some passionate Central Division heavy hockey, and they go right to the New Jersey Devils where it's an Eastern Conference team, a team that's, a team that's in cell mode. I mean, the emotion just, just completely drop right off. <laughs> right. So to have focus in that game, uh, to me, that, that shows incredible growth. And Alex, like you touched on, We've been dealing with some really good goaltenders over the past couple weeks. You got Thatcher Demko. He stole one uh, up in the Western Canada. Uh, you got Hellebuck, who was great in that back-to-back series. Um, you know, Pekka was great. You see Sorrows was great. Mm-hmm. We're constantly running into a lot of these good goaltenders. And last night, to me, it looked like Louis Domingue was going to join that list of goaltenders that had beaten the St. Louis Blues. But credit to the Blues, they stuck with it. And when they had those opportunities in the second, they buried two on Barbashev. And then, of course, Jaden Schwartz, who had been a little bit snake-bitten up to this point in the season, uh, got his 19th of the year. You don't know how to play poker? I know how to play poker. I know the rules. I know what you want to try to go for. But I also, my problem is I don't know how to play what I think the other people have. Does oh, that make sense? I got you. Yeah. Like, like some players will like play their cards, but also you're like bluffing and stuff. You may have bad cards, but if you think they have bad cards, you may bully them into like all that kind of stuff. Right. Not for you me. Know what I want to do I like a Mr. Miyagi Karate Kid with you, Joe. Like I play poker with my family like once a month. We get together all the time. Really? We do it. I think I want to bring you over. Let you play with my family for a little bit, and then just Karate Kid, you right, you just go into the Cobra Kai on that blues plane, <laughs> and just chicken leg all of them. Hey, we'll split it and come away with the money, dude. We'll split the three hundred like, bucks I earn. They'll be like, "Where the hell did this guy come from?" <laughs> like Joe, you say you don't play poker. You could just play all of these guys. Now you play like was it five card poker? So we play. We, we do five card. We'll do the hold bla- on. We we'll do blackjack. Hold on. We do okay. pretty much all of them. Okay. See, I like blackjack. I'll do blackjack. Blackjack's the one I always go to. To me, blackjack's great because right. there's, there's just a rule book. There's Right. They're just rules. I mean, if you, you know the, what you're doing, you're trying to accomplish. Exactly. If you have a 12 and he has a, a dealer showing a four, you don't. Have, I mean, it's just like right. things like that. You, you just know. Uh, there's a couple of numbers in there. I think you could probably like. Oh, do I? Do I not? Of course, that that's where it makes it fun. But 
for the most part, there are rules, and it's just me and the dealer. I'm not worried about playing all these other guys and what this guy has, and he's been folding like crazy, and he's kind of giving me a look. And then Joe Schmo over here is wearing sunglasses, so I can't even see his oh, eyes. Oh, the sunglasses. Yeah, and then the dinosaur sunglasses on the other guy with the dinosaur uh, eyeballs. Curbs seems like he's a sunglass guy. Curbs is not a sunglass no? guy. No, but Is he, John Kelly a sunglasses guy? No one wears sunglasses, but I will say... It's a serious game. Is it? Like, I always kind of duck over when, you know, Darren and I are about two or three glasses of wine deep, and I just kind of try to trash talk and see who's losing. <laughs> and I try to crack a smile every now and then if they're having in a good mood. But for the most part, they kind of just look at me, kind of answer my question, and they get right back to you business. You can read the room, can't you? Yeah, I'm like, okay, oh, I'm going to okay. sit back down and finish my movie <laughs> with Panger. I'm going to go back to my wine and Panger, and I'll it, be back. Exactly That's what right. we're doing. We're Cobra kai these guys. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. All right. We're going to take them like down, that. Joe. I like that. One more I wanted to touch on, it, and that's Jordan Bennington. Um, a solid performance against the Nashville Predators that two goals obviously given up, but two goals that I don't think he really had a chance on. Didn't see either mm-hmm. of those. Uh, the, but that game against New Jersey, I know people will see it and say, well, it was only 17 shots. But in my eyes, and I've talked to Bennington mm-hmm. about this, I've talked to Jake Allen about this, the lesser amount of shots goalies see, the more difficult those mm-hmm. games seem to be. It is, and I, and I agree with you big time. You know, it's one of those situations where uh, the Blues, I think it was the first game in that Nashville game, where the Nashville was just, they were hammering, they were peppering, they were going like crazy, and then you were sitting they're linking on the other side. UC Soros has been really quiet and that the Blues can counter. You look at the Stanley Cup Game 7 last year. Uh, the fans will remember that. You got Tuka Rask at one end of the net who has just had not seen any action for the first seven, eight minutes of that game while the Boston Bruins, I think we're out shooting the Blues at one point like 8-1. to one. Right. And then of course they go down. Jay Bomey's a harmless shot from the outside. A minor tip by O'Reilly and the blue, boom, the Blues are on the board. Those are the games that, again, because of the lack of emotion, it's very easy for a player to to kind of adrift and be in your own island for a goaltender and lose focus in that game. But I thought Jordan Bennington kept that great fo- focus. But I thought that was great for his confidence last night. I know it's the Devils. I I know their 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 team's in a bit of a mess and they're going to be in serious sell mode. But at the same time, uh, they they Woody Woody Wakoffs him. You know, that's the guy I talked about last night. His name was Woody Wachowsker. Woody. Woody. In, in Pittsburgh, whenever the, the team needed confidence, they would bring out the third goalie. He lived locally in Pittsburgh. His cracks name me was, up. Yeah. His name was actually Will, but we called him Woody. <laughs> and Woody Wachowsker, weird name. But he would hop on the ice, and guys would just shoot on him, and guys would be hooting and hollering, and he loved it. He didn't care. He was getting scored on left and right, but we got our confidence up, right? And then, sure enough, it seemed like every game right after Woody would come out, we would finally find our scoring touch back. And I think last night... For Jordan Bennington, the New Jersey Devils were the Woody Wachowskers, <laughs> I guess, if that if that's the plural form of all that. Woody Wachowskers, yeah, yeah, that's right. A team that, uh, you know, is not going to get to the inside, a team that is uh, lacking structure, a lot of shots from the point, a lot of shots from the outside on the wall, and I don't know if Jordan Bennington was tested the way he's going to be tested tomorrow night versus Arizona Coyotes, but you get the shutout and you get your game back going. Now, that's two games here that he hasn't allowed more than three goals. Yeah. For a while there, I think it was eight-game stretch, it was three or more goals against for Jordan Bennington. Eight straight starts. He goes to Nashville, shuts it down. They end up losing that game 2-1. to one. And then, of course, last night against the Devils, they shut it out and go on a win for 3 nothing. So confidence booster, certainly, for the Blues starting goaltender in Bennington. What do you think Woody thinks when he goes home to his wife? Is he like, hey, honey? Sid the kid lit me up today. Bingo! Right? He was probably he's probably pumped. He, he was probably counting how many times he scored on him. He's telling stories at the bar about the time Sid the kid went bar down like thirty times in a row. How many times did Joe him. light up, Woody? I scored a couple times on him. See, yeah. confidence booster. See, by the way, we never addressed this from the pregame show on Sunday. That was your anniversary of your first NHL goal. Yeah. You scored eleven more, buddy. I did. You scored a twelve. Eleven? You know, I actually scored on Marty Berdor. 
who was at the game Did last you night. Really? I, I, I don't know Marty that well. So you can't joke with him about I don't, it? I'm not there yet, but once I get to know him a little better, I will say that, uh, hey, remember the time I scored on you? I'm Traded sure one for one for Pavel Datsuk, <laughs> scored a goal on Marty Brodeur. I'm sure he remembers the one time Joe Vitale scored on him. Probably that over... Puck- Every goal that Sidney Crosby scored because it just it, if I score on yeah. you like you remember that like yeah, I can't you're believe pissed this, off about that I can't believe this idiot that puck's probably me. up in his yeah. house somewhere right yep. this one shouldn't have happened it should not have happened it's Joe Vitale I'm Alex Ferrario we will take a break with this week in hockey the Blues acquired Marco Scandella what does that mean for the team we'll talk about that with Joe next here on 101 ESPN. Well, back in on a Wednesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Blues in action tomorrow night against the Arizona Coyotes. A little bit later on tonight in the 7 o'clock hour, you'll hear from former Arizona Coyote, former teammate of Joe Vitale, and of course, captain of the Arizona Coyotes for a long time, Shane Doan. So he'll join us at about 7.15 this evening. But first, Joe, let's talk about the acquisition from the St. Louis Blues yesterday. Uh Trade went down about 3 o'clock. We found out when we got off the air of Stalter and Rivers yesterday that the Blues acquired defenseman Marco Scandella from the Montreal Canadiens for a second-round draft pick in the upcoming draft and a conditional fourth-round draft pick in the 2021 draft, which has come out now that if that draft pick or that draft pick goes to Montreal, if Scandella re-signs with the St. Louis Blues – or if the Blues make it play at least two rounds in the playoffs and Scandella plays 50% of those games. So that's the conditional pick that goes into it. More importantly, it's the second-round draft pick. But even more importantly, the Blues are getting a replacement for Jay Ballmeister, who seems to be done for the season. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. Is this move made uh, last week when we had Jay Ballmeister? No, I, I don't think Doug Armstrong's even considering this. But you lose Jay Ballmeister, and and Doug Armstrong has to adjust. That's what the, the best general managers do. You got to improvise. You got to be able to make moves on the go. And this is something that he had to do because of what happened now with Jay Ballmeister. We don't have a timeline for Jay. The last we heard from Doug Armstrong was that he was going to address the public in the next seven to ten days. And he was on the long-term injured list yesterday. They placed him on. So it. there you go. So yeah, well, hopefully we'll hear something pretty soon. But I do not expect him back anytime soon. Let's just put it that way. Right. So I think you have to make this move. Uh, Marco Scandella, uh, Alex, we talked about it, I think, in the pregame of the 618 show last night. You know, he was a player that he broke into the league when I did. You know, 2010, we were both rookies. I remember him on that Minnesota team. He was a part of that Mike Yo regime where it was just tough, big, heavy, snarly style of hockey in Minnesota. Uh, the Excel Center and the Enterprise Center, I remember Uh, at that time, were the two buildings in the Central Division when I was playing in Pittsburgh, you knew you were up against some heavy hockey. And I think that is just a credit to Marco and what he did on the back end. He was a big piece of that. And I think through some of those playoff stretches when the Blues even played uh, the Minnesota Wild, I remember Marco being one of the best defensemen on their back end. He's a player who's big. He stands at six foot three, you know, around 215, 216 pounds, and he can box you out. He defends hard. He blocks a ton of shots. He's going to be great on the penalty kill uh, to replace Jay Bomeister there as well. You know, I think he gets a little squirrely at times when he joins the offense, when he gets in the offensive zone, or you make him think that he has to contribute offensively. I think maybe then you lose a little bit of his game. I think the core of his game, the strength of his game, is always will be on that back end. And that's exactly why you go get him and replace a Jay Bomeister. Jay Bomeister wasn't going to wow you with his offensive ability either. He wasn't going to join the rush. He wasn't going to uh, dance someone and toe drag someone for a beautiful uh, front of the net shot goal like maybe Vince Dunn or Alex Petrangelo would do. 
he's going to do exactly what uh, he represents, and and that is to play that defensively very strong hockey. He will box out. He can get a little bit chippy. He can get a little bit snarly. I think he's going to fit in perfectly to what this Craig Berube, St. Louis Blue-style hockey is. Well, and it's funny, too. When you look at his numbers, and you know this is just big picture here, and you know you can't take everything from a plus-minus rating, but his two best seasons were in 2013-2014 and 2014-2015, both with Minnesota. In 13-14, he had 17 points, and he was a plus 10. Then the next year, he had 23 points and was a plus 8. But those two seasons when he was his best were the two seasons that Minnesota went to the second round and essentially lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. So you look at him at his best, he's a guy who's a three or four top pair defenseman for you, but he's a guy who physically can be Mm. a solid defenseman. And penalty kill was the biggest Mm. thing. And I talked with the Buffalo Sabres reporter yesterday, of course, Scandella playing the last three seasons with Buffalo before Buffalo traded him to Montreal this year. And he said he was the go-to penalty killer for Buffalo. And right now, they absolutely need that guy. Yeah, and I think you can look at it like, why why did Montreal get rid of him if he was such a good defenseman? I think Montreal, uh, to be frank, is, I think that organization's, again, back in a little bit of shambles as far as what are we? Are we sell? Are we buy? Are, are we going to make the playoffs? It looks like they're the, obviously the outside looking in right now. Do they have enough to make a push to get in? It doesn't seem like right now they do. And if you're not going to sign them to an extension as uh, Marco Scandell is going to be a UFA come July 1, then you got to move them on. So that that's, to me, the reason why he left. It wasn't anything against um, the way he can play. I think it simply was about the fact that his contract was about to expire. You bring up the playoffs, Alex. Uh, you know, Minnesota, those years, they went very deep. He's got, I think, 39 playoff game appearances, which uh, is a big thing on your resume, I think, if you're Doug Armstrong when you're looking at a player because you're going to want someone with that playoff veteran experience. Playoff hockey is a different beast. The first time you step ice on a playoff game, you feel it immediately. I mean, uh, electricity is going through your veins because you're feeding off the crowd. Um, You can let your emotions really carry you over the top and go overboard if you're not careful and if you've never been there before. Well, Marco Scandella has been there before. He's played big minutes in some big games, as you just mentioned, with the Minnesota Wild. So to me, that presence and that experience and the fact that you've been there, done that, is really going to play into, I think, how composed this kid can play when the game will be on the line for the St. Louis Blues team, assuming all is well and they end up making the playoffs again this year. Well, and I think what's fun about this one too, Joe, is when you look at it, just uh, um, Marco Scandella, left-handed defenseman, you would picture him slotting in with a Colton Pareko, but we've also seen a lot of these pairings work, and you had a Carl Gunnarsson skating with Alex Petrangelo, who I know Petro really enjoys playing with him, Vince Dunn and Robert Bortuzzo. Vince Dunn has played with Justin Falk. There's a lot of ways to mix and match these players depending on who goes where, but the fact with Marco Scandella is you have a guy who can be that stay-at-home defenseman, so if he plays with either Colton Pareko or he plays with Justin Falk, one of those two can jump up into the rush, Marco Scandella being that sturdy defenseman like Jay Bomeister was, which I think benefits the Blues to have another guy who can feel like he can jump up into the rush. Well, I think I think that's right because I think ever since Jay Bomeister has gone down, I think Alex Petrangelo's responsibilities had broadened now. When you have Jay Boo and Jay Boo, Jay Boo, Jay Boo, Jay Boo, that's Canadian. That's a boo boo. Whenever you have Jay Boo and Colton Pareko, and you have them as that shutdown pair that's going to go up against the Tyler Sagans um, come this weekend, or maybe the Clayton Kellers come tomorrow night. Then you, as the captain in Petrangelo, understand that, okay, 
Jabo and Colton have them, and we have maybe the second or third the third line, so we can jump up in the offense a little bit. But when you lose Jay Bomeister, I think for Petrangelo, his responsibilities expanded in the sense that not only is he responsible for contributing to the offense and the power play, but now he kind of takes on this new role. Well, hey, who's going to be the shutdown pair? And he's, he's had to step over the boards at times and be that shutdown presence, especially against the Nashville Predators, which we saw back-to-back over the weekend. So now that you have Scandella, you're going to see, I think, Alex Petrangelo and Justin Falk maybe get back to more of what they can do and what their bread and butter is uh, from a standpoint of jumping in the rush, being active in the offensive zone, knowing that you're not out there against the Nathan McKinnons and the Sidney Crosbys and the Connor McDavid's of the world. Maybe you're out there against that second, third layer, and they can maybe contribute a little bit more on the offensive I side. i got to tell things. you, Joe, I love the physicality side of this because I think that was the biggest thing that we talked about in the offseason that you lost with Joel Edmondson mm-hmm. being traded away and Pat Maroon not being here. You missed that feistiness. And from what I remember with Scandella, and I go off of you know the fan perspective at that time, and I hated him along with the Minnesota Wild, which mm-hmm. is a good thing, but I think that feistiness is going to match very well in that locker room with for this team. I think so. I mean, you mentioned the locker room before we get into the chippiness. Um, this is a guy from Montreal, and you yeah. know we talked about that a little bit too. Sometimes you know French Canadians and Russians and, and Europeans, uh, Finns, Swedes, they have a rough time adjusting to new teams. They, they don't like change. Well, it's, it's already a big change enough. I mean, right. they're over here in America or Canada, and they're playing in a different country. They're away from their family, the different time zones. It's completely out of their element. But, you know, you look at all the Swedes on this team, uh, you know, uh, Jacob De La Rose, Oscar Sundquist, uh, Carl Gunnarsson, Alexander Steen, they talk about it all the time in the sense that it, it helps so much to have so many people from your country there, the language barrier, not that that's necessarily a problem for the Swedes, but just the fact that you have the same guys from the same culture as you that understand maybe a little bit more of what you're going through. And now for Marco Scandella, he has the David Prons and the Sammy Blaze who will kind of help him really kind of get adjusted uh, to things. Sammy Blay talked about this season as he was on an absolute run to start the year, how much David Prawn has been a mentor to him, mm-hmm. not only on the ice, but from the off-the-ice standpoint. They can talk about things that maybe us St. Louis guys or maybe a player like Zach Sanford from Salem, Massachusetts doesn't quite understand. So I think, first of all, that's really going to help him in his adjustment to get back uh, to a team that has a little bit more of some of those familiar faces, maybe with familiar languages. And then you know, and the second thing, like you said right there, to the chippiness. I think that he reminded me when he was in those playoffs uh, of a player that when the game was on the line, that's when he gets fired up and that's when he gets feisty. And those are the guys you want. You want those gamers. You you want the guys when it's 2-2, two to two, you know, in, in the first, uh, first round, maybe game six, late in the third. Who's going to step over the boards? And who's going to make a difference? Who's going to own that moment? And I think that for young players who have never been there before, it's a very difficult situation to be in. So he's got the experience. And I think he's kind of got that DNA makeup where he's kind of the guy that he wants to step over. He wants to block that shot. He takes pride in boxing out and allowing no shots against on that pass shift. So uh, to wrap all that up, Alex, I think this is a huge pickup for the St. Louis Blues. You know, whether whether Doug Armstrong was going after Brendan Dillon or not, of course, this deal was made shortly after Brendan Dillon got dealt to the Washington Capitals. I think they're very close comparables. You know, I think they're both kind of around that same age, around the same games. So uh, I, I do see this as a, a major pickup for the Blues. Well, now the question from a lot of Blues fans is, is there going to be something else? And we'll address that a little bit later on because that ties into the update we received on Vladimir Tarasenko. But up next, Joe and I will talk about the trades around the National Hockey League because Brendan Dillon was moved yesterday. Winnipeg Jets made a move. And why haven't the Colorado Avalanche made a move? So we'll talk about all of that next year on 101 ESPN. 
Back in on a Wednesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you this week in hockey. We got Shane Doan coming up in our next hour, but we just wrapped up talking about Marco Scandella being acquired by the St. Louis Blues yesterday as we approach the trade deadline, which is officially five days away from now, February 24th, and you're seeing a lot of movement already. And Joe, let's start from there because I'm a little surprised that we're seeing so much movement early on rather than the trade deadline day. I mean, Tyler Toffoli was a name out there that we thought, okay, yeah, he's probably going to go for a a really high amount of draft picked or a player capability, and it's going to be on that trade deadline day. But Vancouver Canucks pull off that deal a couple of days ago. Winnipeg Jets pull off the deal to bring in a defenseman, uh, Dylan DeMello from Ottawa. And then you had Brendan Dillon being acquired from the Washington Capitals. So two of the three right there, those are pretty big names that were on the trade market early. Well, I think that they're happening early, Alex, like we touched on a little bit earlier in the uh, in this show. Because let's, let's just take, for example, if you wait to the day of the deadline to make a deal, that's February 24th, so that's next Monday. Uh, to the end of the regular season, you're looking at five weeks and five days, essentially. Wow. So, Which I know is probably like, what, like 15, 16 games? It's 15 or 16 games. Exactly right. A lot of these players, Alex, they it takes some maybe six, seven, eight. I mean, we've seen some – I mean, I remember when James Neal came to Pittsburgh. He never goal for the first, like, 22 games. Wow. I mean, sometimes this takes a long time for a player to adjust. If you have him at the deadline and you have, let's say, 15 games left and it takes them – 12 or 13 games to get acclimated. Yes, you can make the argument that, well, then he's still got three or four games of the regular season, then they hit the playoffs. That's if they make the playoffs. And this is becoming so tight. Every division is so tight. Look at that Pacific. I mean, even the Central Division right now, that waited out period, it, it, it becomes a very critical period because that waited out period, you could bounce yourself right out of a playoff spot if you're not careful. And then this rental, quote unquote, that you just got at the deadline really doesn't do you any good in the fact you just lost two or three round picks from 2020 or 2021. So I think now general managers are just, they're getting a little bit uh, yippy in the sense in a good way where they want to go out there and they want to make these deals as quickly as possible. So instead of the five and a half weeks before playoffs, if that team makes the playoffs, you have maybe, let's say, the seven weeks or the seven and a half weeks. And that's why you're starting to see the Toffoli's going around, uh, you know, Brendan Dillon's. I mean, you're right. Five, six years ago, all this noise that happened yesterday, that's happening like on that Sunday before the deadline. Right. It's not happening, you know, six or seven days before the deadline. So it's, it's just happening a lot sooner now, which I think is really benefiting not only the buyers like the Washington Capitals and the St. Louis Blues because of how, obviously what in the you know Vancouver Canucks of what they have and they can absorb, but also for the sellers too. They, they want just to get it out there and just kind of continue to move forward in, in developing things and kind of figuring out what their next move is going to be and how they're going to continue to move forward with kind of the, the team in shambles that they have. Well, I think it's smart by the G- GMs too, Joe, because the GMs, rather than getting into a bidding war, because look, you know, Brennan Dillon goes off the board from the Washington Capitals, a team like the Winnipeg Jets before they signed Dylan DeMello, a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, a team like the Nashville Pre- Teams are going to want defensemen, and when that first name comes off, then you go to the next one, then it becomes a bidding war, and I think GMs are smarter now to kind of go in the weeds and find a player that fits their style and not pay the bank to try and get that 
big number one player because that's what we've seen in the past. You know, the, this is the the high list trade deadline acquisition. Okay, well, you got eight teams pining for him. Who's going to pay up the most? But if a second and third round pick gets the Washington Capitals to Brendan Dillon, Doug Armstrong's waiting in the weeds saying, okay, well, I think Marco Scandella matches our team better. We'll give up a second round pick and a fourth maybe if he works out for our team. So you're not paying as much. The Vancouver Canucks bringing in Tyler Toffoli, who Chris Kreider is the number one acquisition for a lot of teams. But you got to fight Colorado, you got to fight Boston, you got to fight other teams where Vancouver can say, okay, we'll give up this, which is a haul to us, but we're going to get this guy while everyone else is focusing on Chris Kreider. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is the comps. Like, How, how does this player compare to the next one? I, you know, I know when Blake Coleman got dealt, uh, I was like, whoa, to me, that was they, they gave up a lot. I thought so too. You know, But then that's just going to rise uh, the Chris Kreider um, obviously trying to teams to get him. Now, the New York Rangers got to be kind of careful because if you get too greedy, then then maybe no one wants him. Right. And then you're you're swimming up that, that, that creek, they say. Alex, I can't right. say it. You know what I mean? That creek. Going up a creek with, creek with no paddle. Exactly. Yeah. The, you know, it's, it's, it's the gross creek. You know, I can't say that word on uh, you're, you're going up poop creek without poop a paddle. Poop creek. Yeah. Basically, that's what it is. It's poop creek. So it's like that balance, right? You got you to gotta figure out what the most you can get from Chris Kreider if you're the New York Rangers. But also, you can't. You can't get greedy because, I mean, but again, look at what Blake Coleman got for, the the New Jersey Devils got for Blake Coleman. I mean, Chris Kreider, obviously, uh, it, it's ranked up there. I know the projections were, last I was kind of reading about and what I kind of think, you know, you're looking at a first-rounder or maybe a prospect or two or maybe a first-rounder or third-rounder and a prospect. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a heavy price. Uh, but I saw that last, um, I think it was Bob McKenzie, who tweeted out there, and he's a pretty reliable source. I think he was saying that the Boston Bruins and the Colorado Avalanche, yeah. two teams really digging deep into this Chris Kreider thing right now. If if he ends up going to Colorado, we uh, we are we are looking at already the scariest team, I think, in our division, who we've had problems with this year, that will get a whole lot more talented. So, yeah, we'll just kind of see how this thing goes. Well, that's the part that gets me, too, of why we haven't seen some teams make a move yet. I mean, Colorado has lost Nazem Kadri for four weeks. They're week-to-week week with Miko Ranton, who they said that could be four to six weeks without this player. Now, obviously, they still have, you know, Nate McKinnon, who's a Mm-hmm. elite player in the NHL, but that's a team that might be hitting desperation mode, so a team that's going to have to overpay for Chris Kreider. But then you also got the Toronto Maple Leafs, Joe, a team that everyone expected at the beginning of the year to be in the Stanley Cup conversation with the John Taveras and the Austin Matthews and the Mitch mm-hmm. Marners and the Jake Muzzins, but they're a team struggling defensively, and they haven't made a move yet. So there's some teams out there that I'm kind of surprised that haven't made a move. Well, I think that for the Toronto Maple Leafs too. I mean, you, you signed Jake Muzzin to an extension, so that's that's a good start. But you know, it's almost one of those things where I think teams are actively going after defensemen more than they were two or three weeks ago, or at least from what I imagined teams were going to do through two to three weeks ago. I think it's flashy and. I think it's sexy to talk about the forwards who put up the big numbers like the Chris Criders and the Toffolis, and those are all exciting. Anderson from Columbus is another one that has, I think, another year on his deal, but he was kind of thrown around. But you kind of forget about those defensemen because they're just not as flashy. But, I mean, look at the majority of the decisions made over the last couple of days were, in fact, defensemen because – I mean, GMs are smart, and teams are smart, and we know how this league is trending. Defense wins championships. Look at the St. Louis Blues last year. I mean, uh, the the greatest uh, six, or I should say seven to eight, defensive core that stayed healthy throughout that impl- entire playoff run was the St. Louis Blues. And, of course, they win the Stanley Cup. So I think teams like... Toronto, uh, the Blues who got better defensively, the Washington Capitals who got better defensively. I think Toronto's going to be the next team 
that in order for them to kind of get over that hump, as you just were talking about them, they've got to sort through and really um, pay a little bit more attention to what's going on there on the back end because I don't care if you have uh, Austin Matthews and Tavares and you got, um, you know, who's that goofy kid um, who also makes like $10 million? Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner, a Nylander. I mean, both of them for that matter. I mean, that's great. That's exciting. goofy kid (laughs) that's making $10 million? Well, I say goofy kid because to me – I don't know about you, Alex, but that contract, oh yeah, that that screwed it up for everyone. Yep. I mean, Nylander's over Nylander there. Nylander ruined it for that entire team. He did. He's sitting over there. I hate to go on a rant about this, but he's sitting over there overseas, and he's he's just waiting this whole thing out. And it's it, it just I don't know. Uh, Dubis had an opportunity just to say, okay, the heck with you. Come December one, I think it was the deadline mm-hmm. where he could have just moved on from him. But he signs him to that lucrative deal, and then you got to sign Austin Matthews to a lucrative deal, and then Mitch Marner's right behind him because his point production was insane last year com- compared to Nylander when he. Came back and that just got the whole that was a tipping point that got everything out of control for the Toronto Maple Leafs do I feel bad for him absolutely not I feel bad for the, the strong fan base that uh, has been wanting a championship for 50 plus years but again that's on their GM and, right. and that's that that's the problem with when you sign a player like that to such a crazy contract and you know who knows maybe in five years it'll be worth it but right now you, you just you hamstring your team you, you just you cannot compete if you have four guys making close to 50 million dollars you know what I mean so uh boy that was a long rant, Sorry, rant. I, got, I liked it I got off top well it's good that. because that segues into our next segment because I'm curious of your thoughts and I have a couple of opinions we know the Blues are in such a good position with their roster and their setup from their from Doug Armstrong of having a wide-open Stanley Cup window and transitioning into a new core. But what about some other teams? Because Toronto's one of those teams that, boy, I don't know, they might be putting themselves into a really bad position to win a Stanley Cup. So we'll touch on that next as we wrap up the first hour of This Week in Hockey. All right, final time here in the first hour of This Week in Hockey. One more hour of hockey talk to get into with Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario back with you. And Joe went on that rant there about the Toronto Maple Leafs in the previous segment. And I think it's a really interesting standpoint because when you look around the NHL Joe I think the Pittsburgh Penguins the St. Louis Blues the Washington Capitals even the Tampa Bay Lightning these are pinnacle examples I think in the NHL of teams that have set themselves up well to go win a Stanley Cup not just this year but in the next three to four years just for the way that the roster has been constructed the contracts aren't bad Mm -hmm. the players that they have are young with a core but then you look at some other teams and I truly think Toronto is one of those teams that you look at and you say, "Boy, they really screwed they have, themselves." They have time. Up. They have time. Yeah, they don't. They don't. It's not happening anytime soon. Right. I agree. I agree with you big time. Uh, you know, I think if you just look at the Central Division, I think the Colorado Avalanche and I think the St. Louis Blues to me are the top two teams that have set themselves up for longevity. Yeah. I don't like the Dallas Stars just for the purpose of you have Pavelski, you have Perry. You have, you know, Jamie Benn, you have Tyler Sagan. Those two guys are on those long-term deals. And then you got the older guys like Corey Perry and Pavelski. I like their D, but I also I worry about the longevity of Ben Bishop, too, right. with, how, with how crazy and injured he can kind of get throughout it. But uh, here's one more before I kind of throw it back to you, because I'd like to know your thoughts on this as well, Alex. But uh, the Minnesota Wild are a team that, is just not built anymore. Because of two players. Yeah, exactly. Parise and Suter. Exactly. And it comes back to those long-term deals that they, they, they feel great in the first three to four years, like the Seabrook and Keith thing we saw in, in Chicago as well. The first three, four years, they, they look great. And yes, you win cups and you win championships and those players deserve that money, but it seems to be after that five, six, seven year, and when there's three or four years still left on those deals, 
that's when it just really hampers your team. And this is why I think we are fortunate to have a general manager yeah. who recognizes that. And we haven't really done that yet. And we'll see. I mean, the, the Braden Shen, eight-year deal. But you know what? He got the term. But for the price tag, I don't think it was something that— Well, and, and to me, Braden Shen's a player that, towards the end of his career— He's like a guy like Alexander Steen, who you can plug on a third line. Yeah. He's going to give you his all For sure. no matter what. He's going to forecheck heavy. He's going to be a presence in front of the net. He's going to try and stir some things up for the team. You know, he may not be a number one center or number one winger, but he's going to be somebody who contributes to Craig Berube's system. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's why, to me, that eight, I know it sounds like eight-year deal, like, you know, Joe, you're kind of talking in circles because Doug Armstrong did sign Brayden Shen. He, he gave him certainly the term, but I think for the price tag, that was a very fair deal yeah. for both sides. And I think that's a great call. It's certainly not a 10-year, you know, $11 million deal like or eight-year $11 million deal like we see in, in L.A. with Drew right. Doughty. And those are the ones that really kind of makes you up. I think the, the point of all this, Alex, is you look at teams who have those long-term deals yeah. that pay players ten million dollars, like L.A., who has Kopitar making ten, and Dowdy Jeff making Carter. eleven. Jeff Carter, who's on slow crazy. Dustin deal. Brown, I don't know what he makes, but I know it's pretty high up there. It's a little bit down to that, but it's still up there. Yeah, yeah. you're right. But when you have those players, even Jonathan Quick, Johnny Quick, another yeah. one. Yeah. So when you when you do that. Uh, you see why GMs do it. L.A. won a couple cups. You want to credit these players. They did great by your city. I get it. Chicago, Duncan Keith, uh, Keith or Duncan Keith, uh, Seabrook, uh, yeah. two defensemen back end. Huge, huge. I mean, huge pieces of that puzzle, why they won multiple cups uh, through that 10-year stretch. But when you look at it in the long term, we're starting to see how it can really screw your team over. And I think that when you look at teams that are built for uh, success in the long haul versus teams that are not, that long-term deal contract for one or two or three players on your team really hinders you from being competitive when you're looking down five, six years well, down the road. I think another team, too, that, that at least in my eyes really struggles is the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl who are franchise players that will give you 80 to 100 points in a season individually. But with that being said, you look at them right now, they have two guys out, Larson and McDavid. That's $33.5 million of your team, which if I'm doing quick math here, that's about a third of your salary cap just in two players. Yeah. It's not including a Leon Dreisaitl. And this is a team that I think is very identical to the Colorado Avalanche of last year that had Mc- McKinnon and Landis Gog and Rantanen, which were elite, but the secondary and the third dairy which totally is not a word but i'm going to use that as a word (laughs) they had zero they had zero effort from those guys they go out and they bring in nazim kadri they bring in Giannis Mm -hmm. donskoy they bring in other players to attribute to that i don't know if edmonton's ever going to be able to do that because their secondary scoring is bad but their defense is poor as well. Well, yeah, and I think they can't afford it, and I think the Toronto Maple Leafs can't afford it. But, you know, you look at the Colorado Avalanche and, and how they're going to stay competitive, well, you got to have leaders, and I think that will are going to be willing to take a little bit of a pay cut to stay competitive and spread the wealth amongst your teammates. I think that's a big reason for it. And I, and I brought this up before, but, you know, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are not near the top of the National Hockey League as far as what they make. You know, Sid makes $8.7 million. 8.7 for what I think is the second, third, maybe fourth best hockey player even to this day. And this is just because he was injured this year. He could be healthy next year and be right back to the top with Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon, in my opinion. But he's only making $8.5 million. That's why Pittsburgh has won the three cups with Crosby. And that's why, again, 
they're staying competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're right back in a playoff spot, even though he was out for a while. Evgeny Malkin was out for a while. They've lost Jake Gensel, and they're still competitive because they're willing to take those pay cuts. Nathan McKinnon, he was vocal about this about two months ago where he said he'd be willing to take a pay cut to stay in Colorado because he wants to win a championship. Uh, so, Because everyone, when that Rantanen deal was thrown out, I can't think of the exact number off the top of my head, but... When um, Miko Rantanen signed that deal last summer, everyone was thinking like, okay, when Nathan McKinnon's contract expires and he needs to be signed to a new deal, he's going to break the bank in Colorado. And I think that's what a lot of players and a lot of uh, fans of Colorado and fans of the team were thinking that that could mess up this Colorado chemistry. And Nathan McKinnon addressed it. To, to the media and said that he'd be willing to take a little bit less to stay here to play um, with the Landeskogs and, and, and the Rantanens and the Kale McCars, who's a stud now, in order to win a championship. So it, it says a lot. It's a six-year deal, $9.25 million. $9.25. So they're thinking if, if he signed at $9.25, McKinnon's going to be looking for 10 and a half, maybe 11. 11. 11. Yeah. And again, I, I don't think you, you may not. We'll see. They might be they might be in some trouble. They got Eric Johnson six million dollars a year for the next four years. Ian Cole at four and a half mil for the next two years. Uh, you know you got Don Scoy for three point nine for the next four years. JT Comfer for three point five for the next four years. They might be in some trouble when they get to that McKenna because then Landeskog's going to be up in two years. He'll be twenty nine. Yeah. So who knows what they're going to do? But that's your captain. Yep. They're going to have some issues down the road. They will if he if he demands eleven million dollars yeah. for sure. But you know what? Let's say he takes nine and a half, maybe a little bit more than Ranton. I certainly think he's more valuable than Ranton. Oh yeah. And I think that if a general, if Joe Sackick is can, of course I know he's smart. If he can do his due diligence and understand how to communicate this with his players, especially his leader and Nathan McKinnon, and help him say, hey, look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is what's happening over there. Yes, you may get an extra million uh, or two million here or there, and that's great money, and you deserve it 100%. But I and this team and your team that you're going to represent now, we may not be able to stay as competitive. Right. And we may be done every first week in April for the next four or five years, and we're just got to be okay with that. So it just really comes down to um, – what you want. And what I know Nathan McKinnon is really close friends with Sidney Crosby. Uh, they train together in the summer. They talk quite a bit. So I would almost imagine that uh, it's funny how Sidney Crosby makes that decision and Nathan McKinnon is right on his tails making the same making the same decisions. I can almost imagine that they've had plenty of conversations about this in the summertime up in Nova Scotia. And, and, you're, and you see why both teams are continuing to make pushes for the playoffs and for championships. That'll be a big decision too in the Central Division if he decides to take that salary cut. And of course still be with Colorado. We're going to wrap things up in the first hour. We'll come back and update on Tarasenko from Doug Armstrong. We'll tell you if it's good news or bad news next on This Week in Hockey. Hour number two of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Blues and Arizona Coyotes in action tomorrow night to wrap up a two-game homestand. And the Blues head back out onto the road for two games, one against the Dallas Stars, one against the Minnesota Wild. And by the way, we'll talk Arizona Coyotes with Shane Doan, former Coyote, former captain of the Arizona Coyotes, and former teammate of Joe Vitale. It'll come up in our next segment. But first things first, Tarasenko, we got an update. He skated yesterday with the team, Joe, uh, in the morning skate. You know, he didn't go through the drills that the players were doing, but he was out there. He was passing the puck. He was shooting the puck. He was laughing around with his team. Doug Armstrong held the press conference last night to update everyone on one Jay Bomeister, two with Marco Scandella's acquisition. But then he was asked the question, 
are you done at the trade deadline or are you going to still be looking for a forward? And Doug Armstrong said that the reports they've gotten back on Vladimir Tarasenko have been positive. The five to six month evaluation window, it's looking like it might be towards the front end of that evaluation window. And he said, look, I'm not saying Tarasenko is going to be returning tomorrow night against Arizona, but it's pointing towards the Blues having Tarasenko back in the regular season. And he said, if if we're going to be banking any trades, meaning the Blues, it's not going to be for a rental. It's going to be a hockey trade, which signifies Tarasenko might be returning before the end of the season. Yeah, you know, I think that's I think that's incredible news. And I know you could look at it like, well, why not just hold him off until playoffs then? We can have his money to get at Chris Kreider. And, but you know what? At the end of the day, uh, you have the best – you have the best – free agent at the deadline in Vladimir Tarasenko. If he was a UFA come July 1, everyone would want Vladdy, and that's the most important thing. You have this guy locked up in a contract, and if he's ready to play and he's chomping the bit, let's just say, for example, mid-March, Alex, you get him back out there and you get him re-familiar with his team as soon as possible. That is the most important thing. I know, again, why not strategically keep him out, go after a forward, and then bring him back? But you know what? Then it's playoff hockey, and then it's game one of the playoffs. And then you have Vladimir Tarasenko out there who has not played any hockey since October, or uh, early November. October 24th. October 24th. And then you have to deal with every mistake counts, and every period counts, and every game certainly counts. And you don't want to put yourself behind the eight ball just because you were kind of trying to be strategic in the sense that uh, you were trying to get another forward before Vladdy comes back at the playoff time. To me, it's it's too much of a chess match, and this is not chess. This is hockey. And if your player is ready, which it sounds like he may be, you get him out there as soon as you can. You get him out there with Jaden Schwartz. You get him out there with Braden Shen. You get the chemistry there. You get his conditioning back up. I know he's been walking around. He looks like he's in great shape. But hockey conditioning is a completely different thing. Game conditioning is a completely different thing. He could skate four weeks in practice and and think he's in shape or, or fans could think he's in shape while he's been practicing for four weeks game shape is completely different battling in front of the net using your body feeling the torque of another player i mean battling in, in the corners getting chopped at in the legs getting prevented from getting to the net from I me mean, all these things that wear and tear on your body and mind you only experience by playing in game so i know that when he's ready, they're going to be looking to get him back as soon as possible. And you know what? Quite frankly, I think it's the right move because let's assume Doug Armstrong is um, saying how it is. I, first of all, I think he's still shopping around. I think he's only he's only oh, human. Yeah. But at this point, I don't know if you really need a top six forward anymore if Flatty is going to be okay. I mean, hypothetically, you're looking at Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shen, and Vladimir Tarasenko. That's your top line. And then you got... Uh, you got Ryan O'Reilly through the middle of David Prawn and no one else other than Zach Sanford. Three weeks ago, Zach Sanford, we were talking about him as this is his moment. He needs the he needs to own these next four weeks and show not only his teammates and his coaches, but especially Doug Armstrong, that I can be this left winger with Ryan O'Reilly and David Prawn. I think he's done that and then then some. So if you're Doug and you're going to get Vladdy back, to me right there, you have your top six forwards. And really, to me, the biggest piece you're missing was after Jay Bowmeister went down, which you already filled. So I can see Doug maybe kind of mixing it up still. He's he's always been one of those GMs that you never really know what happens until it happens. Right. He, he doesn't like to kind of get it out there and have the rumors swirl and then make that move. So if it happens, it happens. But... I think if you're a Blues fan, I think the good news is you filled that hole in the back end, and then if Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be okay and going to be healthy and going to be ready for this Blues team come playoff time, I think you have to be very satisfied with where we're at right now. 
Could there be a cherry on top coming? Maybe, but that's okay. I think right now you're you're in a great position. Well, look at the Justin Falk deal. Nobody knew that was happening. Doug Armstrong in the offseason was blatant saying, look, we're not making any changes. You know, we got Maroon and Edmondson and figure it out as we go. And then boom, Justin Falk. So Doug Armstrong could be saying this and then still looking around and the right deal plants itself in front of him and says, well, we got to do this and help our team out. But here's the part that gets me. If Tarasenko wasn't injured, if he was playing for this team from October 24th up until now, I don't think we'd be sitting here at trade deadline day saying, well, you need to go out and find yourself a forward. If Zach Sanford's not performing, then yeah, you're probably Mm -hmm. saying that. But I don't think you're talking about finding a top six forward at the trade deadline. I think you're talking about depth. I think you're talking about maybe some health on the defensive end. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it. Yeah, I don't think Doug Armstrong's making a move if Tarasenko's injured. So if you are getting him back... You know, again, I said I know it sounds cliche, but that is essentially that top six winger that you're looking for. And to play devil's advocate, Joe, I know people are listening are saying, "Well, he's got a banged up shoulder; he's not going to be the same Vladimir Tarasenko." Mm-hmm. If that's true, then he's back too early in my eyes. Right? I, I think I think you're right because we're not just talking about this season; you're talking about a franchise winger here in Vladimir Tarasenko that it's his shoulder that's been bothering him that's for what 26 years old yeah he's been it's been bothering him for you know a little while now and it finally just ha- had it and it was over in that November game or the October 24th game so it's not just about this season it's not just about this cup run this year this is a player that they have invested in for the long term and the long haul so unless he to me is 100% they are not going to put him in a bad situation so that's number one uh, the second thing, Alex, which I mean, you won't find a stat for, but I think you have to look at how Doug Armstrong and how Craig Berube have a feel for this team. Are the Blues slumping right now? Are they a little bit exhausted? Are they tired? Absolutely. Do they deserve to be all those things? Absolutely. But the feel that I've gotten from this coach and especially from these players that when the when the game is on, when it comes down to the last couple weeks of the season and we got that playoff spot and we're ready for round one, that is when this team will just come back and come alive. I, I think that the style of game that they play is so difficult to do for 82 straight games. So I think this lull was expected. I think this lull had to happen. But I also think the character makeup of this veteran group and the leaders like Ryan O'Reilly and Alexander Steen, when the game, when it's game time and it's time to go and it's time to push and time to be physical and the time to grind and the time to not turn pucks over the middle of the ice, I think this team can flip that switch on with a couple couple weeks left in the regular season. And that way when the playoffs come, they are really hitting the ground running because to me, they've done it before. They did it all last year in the playoffs. They know exactly the recipe it takes to win that food competition. And they're going to get right back to that recipe when it comes to playoff time. So to me, it's not only about adding forwards or not adding forwards. It's about understanding kind of the feel of this team and how is this team going to respond when we get a little bit closer and I think both the coach and general manager understand that this is simply a little phase but we have the group when, when it's time for go time they're going to be buckling up and it's it's ready to go and it's time to play some hockey well we're looking forward to it and again the trade deadline come Monday February 24th lots of moves I'm assuming to still be made around the NHL we'll take a break we'll come back and talk to Shane Doan former Arizona Coyotes captain Former teammate of Joe Vitale is going to join us to talk a little Coyotes and Blues next here on 101 ESPN.
Well, welcome back to This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale here on the Blues flagship station, 101 ESPN. And we figure any time the Blues take on the Arizona Coyotes, Joe Vitale's former team, no big deal. The player he was traded for was Pavel Dotsuk, just to throw that out there. But we figure better to talk to, to better to talk about Joe Vitale of the Arizona Coyotes. We talk with one of his teammates and the captain of the Arizona Coyotes, and that's Shane Doan. Shane, it is great to have you pop on with us today, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Alex. How are you doing? Uh, Shane, everyone thinks uh, you have this, obviously, this reputation around the league and all of the world, for that matter, of being this great guy. But, Alex, i, I got to be honest. I had my <laughs> concussion my second year. I got in a bad fight, broke a lot of bones, and I just was kind of recovering a couple weeks later, and Shane... Uh, who was actually just on a walk with his wife while we're calling him. He's coming back to his house in Scottsdale. <laughs> he had a Halloween party, okay? And Shane thought it would be funny to dress up. What were you, Shane, a scarecrow? And and he would he stood <laughs> out front outside his house, and he was like a frozen scarecrow. And I'm walking up. I'm like gingerly. Like, I still got black eyes like crazy. And he scares me, and I get jolted. My nervous system, I think, exploded. <laughs> and he sent my concussion <laughs> protocol back about five weeks on that scare. So, Shane, not cool, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, that was funny. It was really funny. Like, <laughs> well, technically- I, I, I'm sorry it cost you five weeks, but it was really, really funny. And my kids loved it because they were helping. So it was pretty good. I was going to say, it sounds like from Shane Doan's perspective, it was well worth the five-week setback on his end. <laughs> yeah, no, no no, worries there. I'm, I'm doing fine. But, you know, Shane had a, a lot of parties like that, and he was just always a guy that grabbed a lot of guys. Shane, do you miss that a lot? I mean, obviously you miss the game, but as far as, like, the camaraderie and, and like, the rookie parties and, and the Christmas parties, is, is that a part of the game that now you've been gone a few years that you kind of you really kind of reminisce and miss a lot? Oh, without a doubt. There, that's – I mean, you miss the competition. I miss the compete, like the try, the intensity of the competition and the kind of the pass-fail every night of whether or not you win or lose a game. That I miss. But the thing you miss the most is is just hanging out and being with with NHL players that are cool guys. Like, that's – like, they, you guys are my friends, and that was what made it so unbelievable to me was that I got to have parties with, like, as a fan of the NHL, with NHL players, and it was amazing and um, the guys were unbelievable, and you miss that so much because you, you develop a bond that's that's just so cool. Shane, does it feel like you're three years removed from playing in the NHL? <laughs> no, it doesn't until you really think about it. And then you, I started looking at like who's in the league now, and I'm like, holy man, I don't know very many guys on that <laughs> team, and I don't know. Like it, it changes so quickly, and you realize that. It just keeps going. Like you always think that uh, you're maybe a little bit more important than you are, and then when the game, the game itself is just so big and so amazing, and it just keeps on going. And and the next generation and the next group of players that come in are they come in quickly, and they're so good and they're so talented, and it's fun to watch. And you realize, wow, it's uh, it's moved on, and and you're behind it now by a long way. Well, Shane, I know an area that you missed a lot throughout your playing days, as as I know very well as a father is you miss a lot of time with your kids and I know your one son I believe your oldest son is playing junior hockey in Chicago and I hear that he is just committed to Arizona State University I'm sure you're loving watching him play every day yeah it is it's so much fun and now with one of the benefits of it being now later on is you can watch every game they they have hockey tv has almost every game from like 12 and unders on on somewhere you can find it and I get to watch his games every night or whenever he plays and it's so much fun to see him uh, going through kind of the trials and tribulations of trying to figure out junior hockey and 
it's hard, man. It's so hard on them, and it's hard on their parents, and yet they love it so much. He's he's enjoying it. The team he's playing with is amazing, and the family he lives with is great, and the coaches and the general manager, they're amazing. He's loving every minute of it, so it, that makes it easy. Well, Shane, you got the two boys, and I remember from Arizona, I'm not sure if your youngest is still uh, in theater and a dancer, but I always admired, I'm going to call this I'm gonna call this the Shane Doan fatherly advice segment really quickly. Hey, this is good. <laughs> I want you to get this out there because you have your oldest son who was a hockey player, and I'm sure you, it was very easy to connect with you and your son because you have something so in common. But then I think you, at the time, and maybe you still do, but your other, your other boy was in the theater and art, and he loved to dance and sing. As a father, um, what advice do you have for people out there who who have to kind of have that balance? And how do you find that love and connect with your kids when it's something that maybe you're not familiar with, like the sport of hockey? Well, you know what? And he does. He's actually in a play right now. He's in 13, and Scott's still at the Grease Paint Theater, and I, it's, he loves it. And it's so amazing to see the difference on each one of them. But you can see him... I don't know. He just, he enjoys it. Like he just, and when you see his joy in it, that it, it makes me enjoy it more. And, and I've had to kind of expand my horizons in the fact that I am the farthest thing from, uh, from a dancing and singing person. But at the same time, when, when I get to see how much he enjoys it, it seems as a dad to make it that much more um, engaging for me. And uh, I've had a blast watching and seeing him become the kind of the young man that he is. And, and uh, it is hard because it was so easy for me to connect with, with, with the hockey side and with playing with Josh. And now I'm having to learn. I know all the words to Hamilton, and I know all the words to, to a couple other, a couple other Broadway songs that I didn't realize that I would know. And, and it's been, a, it's been an absolute treasure for me to see him enjoy it as much as he has, and um, and and to watch him grow. And and, and that's. It's it's in he's in his flow like he just gets in there and he enjoys it. It's easy for him to do and and that's that's fun to see. Hey, I've seen Hamilton and that's not an easy thing to know all of the words to. So Shane, props <laughs> to you for knowing all of the words to Hamilton again. Again, we're talking with Shane Doan, longtime Arizona Coyote here on this week in hockey. Shane, I know you were in St. Louis for All Star Weekend, the All Star festivities. You've participated in a lot of All Star games. What was that experience like in St. Louis for you? I was blown away by the support of the people. Like you hear about how great St. Louis is as a as a sports town. Um, Paul Goldschmidt and I are good friends, and he's blown away by the the support for the Cardinals. And he knew, and like going in, what it was like. He's like, this is one of the places to play baseball in 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 the entire United States. Um, but the support for like just the the players and for the Stanley Cups and the alumni and everything that goes on there, it was. I, I knew it was going to be good. I didn't have any idea that it would be as, as intense as it was, and it was pretty special to see the fans and the and the people from all over come and, and, and just be part of each festivity and the things that were going on. It was, it was a display that I didn't really expect. Well, Shane, uh, one of those players and one of the alumni that was obviously very big here was um, Chris Pronger, and it was just announced last week that for St. Louis hockey, Chris Pronger will have number 44 up in the rafters, um, we're talking to someone who has been in that moment on the ice with the family as you see your number go up into the rafters representing the organization you've been a part of for so long. What, what was that moment like? Oh, it was, um, 
it almost felt like a eulogy a little bit. Like you're expected <laughs> to go away. <laughs> you're like, all right, go away and never, ever come back. But at the same time, it was, it was as, I mean, you never in a million years think that something like that's going to happen. Um, but it was really special. The, the part I enjoyed the most about it was the, the team and the organization kind of brought back all the guys from each era that I'd kind of uh, played with. And I think as a player, it kind of goes back to what you're asking, Joey, about at the beginning being at the team parties and the camaraderie and stuff. And for a weekend, it felt like you were right back to that kind of the glory days. And, and that was really something that um, you got to experience that, but now you get to experience it with your parents and your kids and your family. And they get to see, you know, they've heard all the stories about so-and-so and this guy and that guy. And now they get to kind of, be around them for a weekend and kind of get to enjoy them and see the the relationship kind of the way it was at the rink and and I, that was really really special and I really enjoyed it and I was over the moon um, blessed by that. Well, you know, you mentioned the parties and people ask me all the time, "What do you miss most?" Uh, of course, the parties, but also it's a simple thing, Shane. I know you're a big part of this too, but how about sewer ball? Like that the, the oh. soccer game we played before we got ready for oh, every is that what game. It's called? So it's called sewer ball. Oh, I didn't know that. It's like two touch yeah. or sewer ball. And I just remember I wish I could just go back and play one game of sewer ball. And now that I'm a broadcaster oh. and you're you're on event level a lot. Don't you wish you can just kinda of jump in there with your suit and just kinda of kick it around for a couple of minutes? A hundred percent. I've walked by and they like the balls came over to me and I was like I like flip it up in the air and kind of kick it back. And I so badly want them to be like, wow, you're pretty good. Like, no one says that. They just kind of think, I just want to be like, hey, I can play. But you can't. And this, you're out of the loop. It was like the best part of warm-up. Even like the coaches would have to come in and be like, okay, enough. Like, you guys got to get ready to play. I love that. I miss And, and everyone thinks they're the best. I, I won't brag about too much, but... Every time that you get a chance to brag about if you're a good soccer player in sewer touch or in two touch or sewer ball, you would brag about that. Like everyone thought they were the best, and I loved that. That was so much fun. Everyone did, and it was funny. The former blue here, BJ Crombie, was probably the biggest sewer ball bully. (laughs) He was the biggest bully of all. Was he not? Like the ball would hit him, hit the ground, and he would blame some rookie for like sneezing, and then he would literally shoot them away in the line. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's like the, the only that's the benefit of getting older is like you get to dominate the sewer ball even if you're not that good yeah like at the end of my career i was full on i couldn't get that i couldn't like that it landed like six inches from my foot there's no way i could possibly have reached out and got that ball <laughs> and then rookies would have to run so far, Shane had the I call it the Sidney Crosby effect. If it was anywhere near Sid, whoever was around him would always take it out. Towards the end of Shane's career, I remember my year. If it, if Shane hit it and it was like 13 blocks down the hallway, like some rookie, would be like, oh, you know what, Shane, I should have I should have hopped on that car really quickly and gone 100 miles an hour down the hallway to kick that ball. I'll, I'll take this one, Shane. But uh, the respect that you clearly have earned in this National Hockey League. <laughs> Uh, except for some of the other older guys didn't appreciate that as much. Like, <laughs> no, maybe, no. <laughs> Comes with the territory. Didn't appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, she... and I actually almost fought three or four times over that, where everyone else was really uncomfortable <laughs> in the fact that they're like, are they really going to fight over this? You and Mike so, Smith, yeah. the, the tender now in Edmonton Oil. Oh, my God. You and Mike Smith got some – he went back down from you. He was one of the guys that had that kind of swagger where he, he didn't let you push him around. <laughs> No, exactly. And that was, oh, I love that. I miss all that stuff so much. 
Hey, Shane, just uh, from your perspective as a former Arizona Coyote and uh, watching this team right now with a lot of youth involved with it, a team that's fighting for a playoff spot, but a team that has a lot of high hopes, it has to be exciting for you to see that building again. It is. It's it's something that here in the Valley that you – it's been a while since we had a real a decent run and, and made the playoffs and done anything. And so for them to be in the mix right now, is a lot of fun. And you, you hear it around the Valley. Um, obviously right now it's they're They're in a fight with when you're looking at, you're looking at everybody that's around them and everything that's going on. And it's really, really hard. Well, so Shane, we're going to see what, Go ahead. We're, we're going to see what happens here. Well, we'll, we'll see how they do. Yeah, we're excited for it. Uh, always love the battles and, of course, uh, in action tomorrow night here in St. Louis. Shane, it's great catching up with you, buddy. I know uh, Joe Vitale always loves getting to hear your voice. So thank you so much for taking some time out today and uh, can't wait to uh, talk again down the road with you. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. and I love talking to Joey. Anytime Joey wants to talk, I'm more than happy to. And, oh, and one other thing, guys, is I just wanted to say uh, my thoughts and prayers with, with Jay, with Bo, he, I got to play with him a few times in a few different situations. He is an awesome, awesome dude, and um, my one of my cousins is one of his good friends, and the whole all the families. Thoughts and prayers are with him and his wife and every and the kids, and uh, I, I just it, everything's working out. Don't don't you're the best, buddy. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, guys. We will take another break, and when we come back, another head coach has been fired in the National Hockey well, welcome League. Welcome back in we'll to talk about This Week in Hockey this week here on Wednesday night. ESPN. Alex Ferrario with you. Joe Vitale had to duck out a little early, so we substitute one Blues broadcaster for another as we get the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, hopping on with us now for a little This Week in Hockey. Kerbs, how are you tonight, buddy? Doing awesome, bud. How are you? Doing fantastic. Well, I teased it uh, coming into this segment. Wanted to talk about the Minnesota Wild firing their head coach. And I think Bill Guerin's at the point now where he realizes there has to be some drastic changes when it comes to this Minnesota team. You know, we saw the decisions when it comes to the rosters of moving some players away and Bill Guerin coming out saying that, look, if you're not going to play 60 minutes and if you don't want to be a part of this team, we're going to find a way to move you. And then we find out that Bruce Boudreaux was let go. Uh, I didn't like the move. Uh, I I like Bill a lot, um, you know, and, and it's it's his first major move as a general manager, but I didn't like the move. I, I think Bruce Boudreaux is a good coach. Um, I, I frankly, they're uh, considering they'd gone from Mike Yo to Bruce Boudreaux. I, I, I think that if, if you're the Minnesota Wild, I, I frankly, I think Paul Fenton got what he was looking for, which was for some reason to get rid of Bruce Boudreaux. And you go, wait a minute, Paul Fenton's not there. Well, Paul Fenton made some just horrific moves prior to this uh, to, to try and make that team perform bad. Uh, and and in the end, the owner realized just how bad things were going in a year and a half. Some excellent reporting on that by Michael Russo of The Athletic. Uh, and, you know, and then so I, I think Bruce Boudreaux this year inherited a tough situation. I think Bill Guerin inherited a tough situation. And I don't think the problem now is their general manager, nor was it their head coach. You know, I, I think an aging Zach Parisi, an aging Ryan Suter, I, I think an injured Zach Parisi, I think an injured uh, Miko Koivu, I think the trades that they made and not getting the quality of player back for the quality that they traded it has hurt them in an extraordinarily competitive central division, and they were still just there knocking on the door of a playoff spot. I think the Minnesota Wild are exactly where they probably should be in the standings. Uh, and and that's, that, that doesn't deal with the head coach aspect of it. So 
you know, I didn't like the move. I think it was an attempt to catch lightning in a bottle. We've seen the Predators try it. We've seen, you know, now Minnesota try it. We've seen other teams try it this season, and and none of them have uh, have found the Craig Berube factor of yet. Well, and it seems like that's what these teams are doing, doesn't it, Curves? Like, you, you can go through throughout the season, and it just seems like it's an abnormal rate of coaches being let go. And, of course, we know at the beginning of the season it was some of the off-ice issues that coaches were let go. But, you know, now you see the Vegas Golden Knights get rid of Gerard Gallant trying to make a midseason change. But this one really intrigues me because Minnesota, as you mentioned, they're still in the thick of this playoff race. They're only six points, seven points behind the Arizona Coyotes as we sit today or tonight that puts them back into a playoff spot. So to fire a head coach with a little over two months to play just seems odd to me. Well, I, you know what, like you said, so so two of the coaches fired were for reasons, you know, beyond performance, you know, obviously when you look at what happened there in Dallas, all right. Uh, and in Calgary, uh, you had a performance-based decision in Toronto. Ironically, in a great piece of reporting out of Toronto yesterday, great comment, at least by one of the reporters, it said that you know that, that, that right now Sheldon Keefe is saying the same exact things now that Mike Babcock was saying before they fired him. And the one breath with Mike Babcock was they're telling, you know, everyone's up in arms that he can't get the team to do what, to do and what, what they needed to do. And now Sheldon Keith is saying the same exact things, but he's being applauded for his transparency and his openness. Right. I mean, it, right. it's look, sometimes it's the players and sometimes it's the decisions of who you had with all due respect. I, I don't think San Jose, San Jose hasn't been better since they fired Pete DeBoer. It wasn't a coaching job. You had a coach that took you to a couple conference finals and a Stanley Cup final. Hadn't missed the playoffs, right, but the one time. And and you're going to fire him because you've got a roster when you made some really bad decisions? I mean, look, at, at some point, these. I wonder when it comes down on, on some general managers on what's gone on. And, and I, I mean, Vegas Golden Knights, that's the real intriguing one. I talked to some people out there when it happened. I talked to some people, and we were just there. I haven't had one person say, yeah, look, it was pretty obvious that needed to be done. Right? Uh-huh. Uh, and then, so I look around, and, and I scratch my head on some of these. Let, let's, say that, let's say that John Hines, okay, gets the Nashville Predators into the playoffs, which is a real good possibility the way they're playing. Right? Right. Okay? So you're telling me that John Hines would be good enough to coach the Nashville Predators from out of a playoff spot in, but is not good enough to coach the New Jersey Devils. Right? If you, you see what I'm saying here? Right, like exactly. It, I mean, it's it, it's one of those kind of things you're going, wait a minute. Well, the Devils just weren't good enough. They, they, they just weren't very good. Look, when when you've got to play an 18-year-old kid and a, and a, and a 19-year-old kid, well, about 20 with, with Heischer, you know, as much as they have to play them, and you're playing two young kids lose hockey games. Look at the Edmonton Oilers. Look at how long. I mean, you're talking a four- or five-year process for Leon Dreisaitl to become the force he's become. Look at what's happened in, in Vancouver. Young kids lose hockey games, and it's not because they're not talented up. It's not because they can't win. It's not because they won't win a Stanley Cup. It's because they're inexperienced in a man's league. They're inexperienced against a team that's built like the St. Louis Blues, that's built like the Vegas Golden Knights, that's built like the Washington Capitals, like the Boston Bruins. And and I just I think there's a real lack of patience 
on the part of general managers. I think uh, the Craig Berube factor was alive and well <laughs> this year. And, uh, you know, but again, you, I mean, you and I talk about this all the time. What the Blues did had never happened before. Right. So my guess is if it had never happened before in the 100-plus years of the National Hockey League, well, ever since they really started charting it, so let's just say you know, even in the 75 years, right? Mm-hmm. If, if it hadn't happened before, what makes you think it's going to happen two or three times now in the next 12 months? <laughs> right. What makes you think that other teams are going to be able to repeat history like this and, and with the same or with a different head coach? And that's the part that I think is so surprising, Curbs, is you're a team. Like, why wouldn't have this just waited until you were in the offseason when you were fighting for a playoff spot and you know maybe there's stuff that we don't know about when it comes to Bruce Boudreaux with the Minnesota Wild but a team that's seven points out of a playoff spot and firing a head coach with two months left that's not going to just turn around a team right away no at least when you look at when Nashville did it there was a little window because you remember the Blues didn't turn around on a dime under Craig Berube either it took a little while he took over and in November, and you're talking about a month and a half later. Um, you, you know, I'll go back to San Jose. Uh, I, I, I didn't talk to anybody that said, "Yeah, you could tell you had lost the room, they were tired of them, that kind of thing." Right? You didn't. You didn't hear that stuff. You know, and look, San and San Jose is not any better under under Bob Bugner. They're not. They're threatening to climb back in the race and and all of a sudden do some damage. You know, now the difference in 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 Nashville. Peter LaViolette is a hell of a good hockey coach. Mm-hmm. All right. Did he, did the time run its course and the window open with this run to the Stanley cup final and then close with some of the changes? Maybe, but there's one, th- there, there's stuff that was going on there. Peter, Peter LaViolette stopped doing interviews with Pete Weber. Okay. You got a guy as nice as Pete Weber is, as respectful to the game, as respected as he is in the game, as long as he's been in the game, and you're going to tighten things up to say, well, if I'm doing an interview for TV because of uh, a coach's interview, I don't have the time to do a two-minute radio interview. <laughs> All right, when you lose sight of where you came from and you lose sight of little things like that, I, when, when, that ha- when I found out about that when we were in Nashville earlier, I said, this guy's done. You watch. I mean, all of a sudden, that, that, was, a, that was a pucker factor that, that takes you out of where you came from and who you really are. And, and Man, I used to interview Peter Laviolette when he was in the American League. He's always good about it. I'm not. This is not a, a sense to rip Peter Laviolette. I, I think he's a good coach, and, and I think he's a respectful man. I'm just saying that when it gets tight enough on you that you start to make decisions like that, you can tell when you're losing a little bit of control of your reality. And so that's a sign when, okay, a change needs to happen. Um, you know, and, and so, but, but I didn't see those in, in these other situations. When you, and look, you can... You, you could talk to us. You can talk to people around to kind of get a sense when something's coming and when something's just not quite clicking. And, again, in, in some of these situations, we just haven't seen it. And, I, you know, and, and, and I, think it's, I think this one's a sad one because I, I, I think the world of Bruce Boudreau, yeah. I, I think he's a heck of a coach. He's only missed the playoffs two times in his entire coaching career when, and he's been the coach for an entire season, last year being one of them. And what's happening to the Minnesota Wild right now is not coaching. It's contracts and it's and it's player personnel moves that were made by the previous general manager. I would have liked to have seen Bill Guerin work some magic, uh, get get a feel for really where things are from a player standpoint. Now, look, maybe at the same time Bill Guerin interviewed some of the guys and and after doing that felt that the move needed to be made. 
But if that's the case to me, then I think you got the wrong players. I don't think you have the wrong coach. Well, and and again, you're talking about a guy who has you within playoff reach and obviously not living up to the potential, but that's also because of the amount of contracts like you just mentioned that have been handed out. And real quick, Curbs, before we wrap up, and we'll get into what's up with that in our next segment, and you'll get to hear from Marco Scandella. Had the chance to catch up with him earlier this afternoon. But when you look at this upcoming offseason with the amount of head coaches that are going to be available when Gerard Gallant's name's out there, now Bruce Boudreaux's name's out there, and I don't know if Mike Babcock's ever going to find his way back into the NHL, but his name is out there. You know, it sets up a really intriguing offseason for all of these teams to go out there and make moves and bring in a head coach and start recycling them again. Yeah, and the recycling part's going to be an interesting one. Uh, you know, how how they do it, who they do it. Look, I'm, I know he might have been talked to. I don't know how serious it was one or two, but uh, to me, with all those potential openings and interim tags out there right now, I think somebody has to consider Bradshaw. I mean, I, it didn't go well for him the first uh, gig he had with on the Islanders, but my God, there, there may not have been a more dysfunctional franchise in, in sports, <laughs> you know, than, than the New York Islanders at a time like that. So I, you know, I'd, I'd like to see him get a chance there. Um, I, I don't know if uh, Steve Ott has the experience in just the last couple of years to get it, but you know what? Depending on what the Blues do, that somebody may take a chance on a on a younger coach and say, "Come, come, get your chance." Uh, you know, I'm, there are some other guys out there. How does uh, Jimmy Montgomery rebound uh, after the statement that he made? Things along those kind of lines. I don't know that you see Mike Babcock right away. Sure as heck, don't think you see uh, Peters right away. You know, but there are there are some good coaches out there. You know, Bruce Boudreau, I it wouldn't surprise me. Now, you know, Bruce hasn't stayed unemployed long. I mean, he was fired by the Washington Capitals and hired the next day by the by the Anaheim Ducks. Let go by Anaheim and hired pretty immediately by um by Minnesota. You know, so I think Bruce will be back coaching, I hope, and, and the NHL will be better because of it. So uh, it'll it's an intriguing one to watch, you know, but but again I I, I don't see too many of those where you got to point the finger at the coach. I, I think, I think in a lot of those situations, you're pointing the you're pointing the finger at players and at player personnel decisions, not the coach. Yeah, without question, that's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. He is stepping in. Joe Vitale had to duck out early. We will take a break. We'll come back and wrap up tonight's episode of This Week in Hockey with a little what's up with that that comes your way in four minutes here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Final time here on a Wednesday night. Don't forget to stick around because from 8 to 9 o'clock, it's Behind the Bench with John Kelly. Brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floor. You'll hear from the head coach, Craig Ruby, and you'll get to hear a couple of other great interviews from the television voice of the Blues, John Kelly. And don't forget, we got Blues Hockey on the air tomorrow night, a 7 o'clock puck drop against the Arizona Coyotes, a 6 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community starting here on 101 ESPN, a 6.30 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate. That's when the players hit the ice for warm-ups. And then Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale, of course, will have the play-by-play with the puck dropping at 7. So, Kerbs, we get to our little what's up with that segment. I know you remember this from last year uh, when it was myself and Amy Mark scores just some randomness going on around the National Hockey League, and I have two of them for you that I want to get your reaction on. First off, let's start with the Detroit Red Wings because we have officially hit the century mark with Detroit, and that is their goal differential as they have hit the three digits with a minus 105, which is just insane to me. Yeah, and they're hoping that they win the draft lottery. I don't know what's up with that, but they have, you know, that's, they've got a little bit of young talent. Their defense isn't very good. And you, 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 your goaltending could be just fine, but if you're not playing good defense in front of them, teams are too good. Uh, so 
Uh, I, I expect Detroit to be pretty active here at the trade deadline, moving some pieces and setting up for the future as Steve Eiserman has one heck of a rebuild ahead of him. I've asked you this before, and I've asked Joe this before as well. How many years do you think it takes Steve Eiserman to put Detroit back into Stanley Cup consideration? I think anywhere from four to five, to be honest with you. And, and, and that's that's to be in really good competitive win situation, whether that's Stanley Cup contention or not, I don't know. But I, you know, I think the Blues did it about as well and as fast as they can do it. And you were talking about a four- or five-year window to get back to relevance. Well, the other one curbs the what's up with that, as we saw in the stadium series uh, that was out in Colorado earlier this season. I believe it was last week. The The – problem that came with the stadium series was traffic was so bad for people to get there that they got late and then they were asking for refunds of tickets so traffic in Colorado weather in Colorado whatever it may be fans were pretty irate after that uh, stadium series started yeah and I think it also had to do with the fact that they were playing essentially at an air force base so there were the security factors what really kind of helped slow it down I, I was surprised to see and read all this because uh, having been a part of the Winter Classic with the league, an all-star game, a Stanley Cup final, another conference final, the level of planning and detail that they put into this really is absolutely remarkable and the amount of people involved. Um, So either something went awry or there was a factor that just got overlooked or the the prediction of what it would take, but uh, it apparently really impacted the experience for a lot of people. How much do you think that impacts NHL in terms of wanting to bring an outdoor game back to that city if they have issues? Well, again, I don't think it was so much that city. I think it was it was because of where the game was located, where the stadium was located, and how you actually physically get to that stadium and whatever security you had to clear. You know, because of the Air Force Base uh, in the area. So, I, I, I think it was unique. I think it was definitely a learning curve. They'll do their due diligence. They'll try to figure it out. You know, they, this is this is they they played games at West Point. You know, they played games at, at Annapolis. I mean, they've got some experience there. There was an anomaly on this one, and I, unfortunately, I haven't talked with anybody at the league or with Colorado on exactly what the experience was on that. So I can't provide more insight for you, Alex, on that one. I just know that the amount of detail and planning, you know, down to what camera hookups are needed for what little area for a robo camera thing, whatever it may be, the level of detail that that they put into it, uh, it was kind of surprising that whatever planning glitch happened on this one was as big and, and as it was and impactful as it was. Yeah, no doubt about that. And like you said, we've seen that firsthand when it comes to the Winter Classic and then all of the playoff games that we've seen uh, in the last year. So, Curbs, uh, as we wrap things up tonight, and you'll hear a little bit from Marco Scandella in just a bit, but as we wrap things up with you, a little preview for the Arizona Coyotes, a team that the Blues have seen already twice this season, one being a shootout loss. The most recent was on New Year's Eve, which was that 3-1 loss out in Arizona. A different team, I would say, right now for St. Louis, a different team for Arizona as well. But as you mentioned earlier, this is going to be a big, tough matchup for St. Louis, considering that Arizona has had their number. Yeah, I like the game that the Blues have brought the last few games, but I think it's going to have to sharpen up even more against the Coyotes. They've had their number. There's just something about the speed and the way and the way they have defended. I, um, I don't think their goaltending really jumps off the page, bothers you all that much. I, I think the Blues can get to it. 
Uh, but but the Blues have to play a smart level of hockey. If they turn the puck over, especially inside the blue lines to the speed of Arizona, you're going to pick the puck out of your net. So it's an upstart team. It's a team that's feeling good. The Blues have to go in there, get an early lead, and really let them know just how hard of a game it's going to be. But you're right. There is something with the style of play or type of players of the Arizona Coyotes that has given the Blues some fits here in the last few years. Well, and again, that puck drop tomorrow night is at 7 o'clock. It's a 6 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community, a 6.30 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate here on 101 ESPN. Curbs, thank you so much for hopping in and uh, jumping in for Joe Vitale tonight. All right, Alex, great show, bud. We'll see you at the rink tomorrow. And again, a big thank you to Chris Kerber for sitting in for Joe Vitale in these last couple of segments. Now I teased it for you. Marco Scandella, the new St. Louis Blue, had the chance to catch up with him, who's wearing the number six for the St. Louis Blues for the rest of this season. Here's my conversation with Marco from this afternoon. Marco, uh, first off, welcome to St. Louis. How's it feel to uh, be a St. Louis Blue? Uh, thank you. Uh, just excited to be back in the Central Division, playing for St. Louis. Uh, I've watched this team, played against this team for a long time uh, when I was in Minnesota for seven years. Um, obviously, want to be part of this team. Um, cup run last year, and hopefully I could bring uh, some energy, bring a good defensive play, and be a part of uh, another one. And people hear the name Marco Scandella, and they remember those playoff series against a very difficult Minnesota team that you had some uh, some pretty heavy games against. Yeah, I feel like we had some wars together against each other, and uh, you know, now being on this side of the locker room, uh, I know a bunch of guys on this team played with uh, Shanner, uh, Petrangelo, uh, O'Reilly in Buffalo, um, Peron, Montreal. Uh, I, I know him very well. So just uh, familiar faces. Uh, a lot of guys I battled against over the years. So uh, when I was said hi to a few guys, it was kind of funny. We just laughed it off. But, uh, you know, I know the style of play here. Uh, played, uh, played here a lot of times uh, in this building. Great fans, uh, great city. So just really excited to be a part of this. Well, and you got plenty of connections. You mentioned some of the names you played with. Mike Van Ryan was a coach of yours in the minors. And then your uncle is a former St. Louis Blue, Sergio Momesso. Yeah, yeah. So my uncle told me all the best restaurants in the city. And uh, we talked about about it uh yeah coming from montreal i was playing for my hometown team uh, it was a great experience over those two months uh and uh, i'll always cherish those moments and uh, now it's just a new chapter in my life really excited about it excited to uh, like i said be a part of uh, a team that's uh, in the mix right now and uh, just a, a contender so i'm uh, just excited to bring my game uh bring my attitude just be positive uh, play a good defensive game and uh just have some fun what kind of change is that for you to go to a team that becomes a Stanley Cup contender? I mean, this is why we play hockey, to play in the playoffs, uh, prove yourself. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's a big opportunity for me. And, uh, you know, I've been in the league 10 years, and I feel like this has uh, got to be one of the better teams I've played for. So um, I'm just excited to get it going, um, and that's it. As a player who's been away from the playoffs for a few years, does that just need to be back into there running heavy for you? I mean, that's the only reason we play. Uh, the regular season, once you play in the playoffs, it almost feels like a warm-up, a tune-up for the playoffs. Uh, every game matters. Every inch matters. Um, I mean, these guys have done it last year, and I'm just hoping that uh, you know I could uh, just be a part of it again. Does it make it that much more exciting seeing what this team did last year and seeing that the same group is really in the room together? Absolutely, absolutely. you, you got to believe. you got to believe with this group. Uh, made it happen i watched those playoffs uh from home so i mean i want to be a part of this i'm really happy to be a part of this team right now and uh you know just ready for it we heard a lot of guys talk about your physical play and your defensive style which seems to fit the craig baruby system and i know you don't know much about craig baruby but that's the style of hockey that you're used to right 
Yeah, uh, I mean, playing in the in the central over you know all those years, <clears throat> you have to keep it simple. You have to play a hard game. You can't give up any inches out there. So, like I said, I'm prepared for this. Uh, I've been playing this style for a long time, so I'm really excited. Welcome to St. Louis, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on the ice. Thanks for having me. Excited. So that's going to wrap it up for us tonight here on This Week in Hockey. Again, a big thank you to Chris Kerber, to Joe Vitale, and to Dave Payne for running the board for us this evening. And, of course, Mike Ryder helping us out as well. Alex Ferrario, have a great rest of your evening. Stick around, though. More Blues conversation. John Kelly with the Boardwalk Hardwood Floor Behind the Bench Show comes your way next here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.